Welcome to the Common Geeking Program. We are a book club podcast where each week, three of us will read up on a topic and then discuss it from our own gurky. That's a combination of geeky and nerdy, which were the two words that I was meaning to say. Perspective. Neeky, personally. Yeah, no, gurky is much better than neeky. Neeky sounds. Illicit. No, but it would be, Freaky. it would be, no, it would just be needy, because I said gurky, you know, it's changing the, so needy, needy and gurky is Whoever's <laughs> editing, please put in the clip of JD and Scrub saying, if you call Carla Pickle, then I can call Isabella Little Gherkin. Please, I need this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this week I am your host. My name is Jeff Levitt, and we will be discussing, uh, well, we're going to be talking about Transformers. Again. But. What I yeah again, but uh, as a toy line this time, and what I had them watch was uh, season two, episode two, I believe, of the Netflix do- uh, documentary series "The Toys That Made Us," which was about Transformers, as one might expect. And our theme this week is going to be uh, successful franchises that were spawned from. Uh, basically toy lines so the toys came first and then they spawned successful media franchises that are liked for their their own characters their own story not just the toys that they're connected to and this week i'm joined by two people each of whom has selected a domain that they think connects to our topic and theme and they are hello my name's pat and i'm gonna be talking about the wonderful world wow i didn't say wonderful correctly but whatever the wonderful world dude. the wonderful world of wegos the wonderful world of wegos yeah i'm talking about lego it's the dopest toy oh of all i thought time. you were talking about waffles so uh yeah on a similar note I am Colin Ketchin, and will be representing a specific Lego toy line known as Bionicle. And, that, uh, Did that yeah. sound natural enough for you? Yeah, it sounds perfectly natural. Cool. And the, I love talking the reason about that I'm letting them both rep uh, Lego is because there's Bionicle is different enough, and I think, Pat, you were going to focus specifically on Lego turning into the Lego movie franchise, right? I was talking about the games, but... Oh, okay. Sure. Either way. Yeah. I feel like... I like it. Yeah, well, we'll touch on things, because I feel like that might also have to do with... I've always wanted to hear you say those words to me. The franchises that they're, like, Star Wars and Bonneville. Yeah, that's true, but they also had, like, their own games, like this racing game that they made in the early Whoa, 2000s. Oh, Holy know that. shit! Guys, what? are are we in Pat's domain already? What happened? Fuck off. I'm oh just curious. Okay, you know what? <laughs> I was just saying that I have reason to fucking rep We're just bitch, having a natural right? conversation, Colin. All right. Why don't you heck I off? sound so natural. What are you talking about? <laughs> All right. Bionicle. <laughs> Bionicle. So we're going to start by summarizing our topic and domains before we openly discuss. And then finally, we're going to kick it off. Well, kick it off is really the starting thing. So we're going to kick it on with a, with a rating <laughs> section to determine which of these fellows best contributed and whether or not they enjoyed our topic today so i think without further ado let's move it on over to the summary all right folks let's get started with this here summary uh, okay, we're, geez, alright, this is gonna be a tricky one. Alright, we're talking about the Transformers, um, and I guess we'll start off with a little bit of 
how the franchise started, the toy franchise, and then the show off of that. So uh, Transformers was originally, before it was Transformers, was kind of a couple different toy lines in Japan, the Diaclone line and the Microchange line most notably. Um, and there, there, there's some story behind how those started with economic things and partnerships with the U.S., working off of uh, G.I. Joe, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't need yeah. to get into that too much. Yeah. Um, that was a fun irony that they pointed out in the Toys That Made Us episode. Yeah. Oh, I forgot a joke I was going to make. Oh, wow. oh I'm so sorry. G.I. Joke? No. no that's yeah, G.I. Joke. <laughs> no, I was going to start off the fucking intro by being like, oh, today we're talking about... And they pop on and they see it. No, yeah. Oh, that, but I didn't yeah. do it. So the, you know, the, yeah. The presentation <laughs> of the of the toys that made us talking about Diaclone and what Microchange or it was Microman and then it turned into Microchange. Yes, it was. It was Micro like Man. these two. It was two parallel lines of transforming toys in Japan that evolved from GI Joe, which was licensed to them from Hasbro. Right? Yeah, I don't. Yes, I don't think Diaclone was derivative of G.I. Joe. I think that the Microman and Microchange line was. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, so, I mean, since we're talking about it, I guess we'll talk about it. Like, the the thing was, like, they that Japan imported G.I. Joe over there, and the kind of war themes weren't really selling very well, so they decided to take the molds of the toys and basically make them translucent and give them metallic parts on the inside. So you could see the mechanisms of how the, the GI Joe action figure actually fit together. Mm. And then they turned them into robot toys, which started the Microman line. So they had this emphasis on being able to like take them apart and, and replace them with different items, give them different things. And um, that ended up being becoming too expensive when the economy started doing poorly. So then they changed that into. I think it was micro change because then they took those those like interchangeable part toys and they just shrunk them. They made them very small, right? No, I think it was no, no. I think that it was something else before it was Micro Man, and then Micro Man was when they made it smaller. I don't remember what it was first. Yeah. Okay. Let yeah. me Google it. it. It doesn't matter so much, but um, yeah. So basically, then they started making these smaller figures, and then they made, like, with the Diaclone line and with the Microchange line, they started making these small transforming figures, and Diaclone was, like, I guess, bigger transforming figures, but they had little tiny pilots that went with them. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, no, and so so the Microchange line and the Diaclone line are largely what all of the original Transformers toys came from. Okay, yeah, so you've got, it was like, wasn't it people from Hasbro? They just went to Japan to see what can we buy and sell again? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much appropriation, fun stuff. All right. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, like, it was appropriated from G.I. Joe to begin with, which was probably, you yeah. know, it goes back and forth Is it a appropriation lot. when it's like for a commercial purpose? Yeah, I think that that yeah. might just be... I feel like it's just copyright infringement or some <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> well, they made a deal. They didn't just steal the yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. But the specific thing about this is that the Transformers story was completely original. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So basically, once they brought the figures from the Microchange line and the Diaclone line over to the United States, then to market it to an American audience, Hasbro felt they needed to write a story that went along with it. Through some trial and error of like finding the the right story, the um what's his name? Jim something. It was like Jim, Jim Shooter and Jim Shooter. Bob. 
Yeah, yeah Bob Rudiansky is the guy yep. who wrote all the characters. Jim Shooter is the one who came up with the uh, the concept, the Autobots and the Decepticons. They're on the planet Cybertron. They're warring over resources, and uh, they go to Earth for more resources. That's the general concept of the Transformers. And then general concept, but they crash into a volcano. Yeah, and then and then they freeze in the hot hot volcano. Oh yeah. Also. Well, uh, I mean, in like, the in the show, it was that the crash caused them to go offline and they were put into stasis. So they weren't frozen. They were dismantled. And then the eruption of the volcano triggered energized. one of their systems. And no, it didn't energize. It triggered one of their systems. And then the ship started repairing them. So oh, it was okay. like you're speaking to somebody who has only seen the first three Michael Bay films. And I'm going to need you to talk dumb to me, which is why I'm explaining it to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were frozen in that one. I'll give you that. But also, do we know if Jim Shooter was a Scientologist? Because that kind of sounds like <laughs> the Scientology story. It sounds like Zanu. I, <laughs> I really don't think so. Um, I I had a theory a while ago that it, that Autobots. Like, the historical thing was probably based at least a little bit on the eruption of Mount Saint Helen, which was in the early eighties. Because, like, then the, tra- the the volcano that they were on was called Mount St. Hillary, and then the eruption is what, like, I don't know, unsubstantiated, but that, that was something that I noticed a while ago. Yeah, they probably just, like, saw the parallels there and were like, we can make this relevant. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. So then, basically, the Jim uh, uh, Shooter employed uh, Bob Budiansky, who was a, uh, I guess he was... Yeah, Pat. Oh, Jim Shooter. <laughs> is, that, is that the joke with the gun? You, you said you said Shooter, and Pat and I both went pew pew. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, he employed Bob Budiansky to basically write all of the character bios for the original twenty six Transformers, which I'm a little sad they didn't list. Yeah, I kind of expected a little bit. Of, I think that's a complaint I had frequently throughout this: is watching the show. Mm-hmm. Kind of felt like a Wikipedia article, and I don't mean that derogatorily, but it chose to present things in a more engaging way, and maybe not in, like, a rigorous investigative way that I might prefer out of a docuseries, and that might mm. just be a me thing. It is a very engaging, no, comically yeah. Yeah, toned fair. show. I guess it's something that they're, they're assuming that a lot of people don't know a lot about to begin with yeah like watching that's, this that's a lot of that information was new to me and a lot of it wasn't i knew a lot of this information you know i mm. knew who bob budiansky was i knew that a lot of the toys were derived from diaclone and microchange um so yeah like microchange was just you a know lot of that the... stuff that you know yeah. casually well, of course. no i knew that because i'm a fan of transformers is what i'm saying you <laughs> I know had a question about the series was it yeah, made for netflix or is it on like actual tv no it's made for netflix it was a netflix original mm-hmm. i think i'm just confused as to why they didn't go for like a full hour i'm pretty sure the episode was only like 46 yeah they're 40 46 minutes which is like fine but yeah typically yeah, but they could have used that 14 minutes oh, to yeah. do something huh. investigative or something I mean, you have to you have to consider the pace i mean i want the show didn't drag on but it definitely felt like a complete arc in terms of what yeah. they were telling i can see them not wanting to bloat that yeah no the, i think that the way that they were doing it was meant to kind of take the historical facts and tell it as a story basically yeah you know for sure like the way that it progressed throughout time so perhaps some of that stuff bogged it down some of the finer mm-hmm. details and you yeah. know yeah i don't we're... think that it was it would it would have been nice for me to to hear but yeah no, I think I agree I don't with think you. It would have been really necessary for them to list the names of the first twenty six or 
Like, yeah, I, yeah. I think I, I think I would have liked that too. But that is, I think, it takes a while for the show to get to that point. In like, hey, these are what the Transformers are because there is such a complicated yeah. history to it. But I, I want to say I could probably figure out what they were but just based on who's yeah. in the first episode well tell you what they didn't do it why don't we make the next 10 minutes of our podcast listing okay it's um, optimus I'm... prime megatron starscream soundwave jazz ironhide ratchet gears holy shit oh boy uh did i say jazz already yes I you did okay uh thundercracker skywarp reflector bumblebee no shit all right cliff <laughs> jumper mirage uh hound trailbreaker oh my god uh sideswipe sunstreaker uh where am i at right now is this you're at 18 18 this is impressive why are you guys not impressed when i do this with star trek because star trek's dumb (laughs) (laughs) you're right star trek is a lot more dumbed down and uh definitely doesn't have as much heady stuff as the world (laughs) of the transformers (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was a big fan of that star trek beast wars rumble Rumble. I don't know if they count. A laser beak, Ravage. That's twenty-one. Mm-hmm. I'm only missing five. Um, Did you God. say Megatron? Yeah, I said Megatron. Okay, cool. I was about to I say said. if you miss Megatron, that'd be funny. I'm just looking around on my shelf right now, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's got to be some obs- some weird obscure Autobots. There's a lot of oh yeah. Braun. Braun was Grimlock in the original? No, he wasn't. He he was uh, the second year. Oh of the right, they were saying that Grimlock was like a redesign of a few other few other toys that they incorporated. Grimlock and the Dinobots were all Diaclone figures. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I'm. You know, I think that was pretty good. I'm only missing what four. You're missing four, Jeff. That was that was like that was impressive. Like, thank props. you. That was anyway, better than that... I expected. <laughs> oh, Shockwave. That's definitely got to be one. Autobots. Jeff's I'm only missing shelf. three. All right. Okay. Cool. Probably that that didn't need to happen, but it did. So that's <laughs> that's where we're at. Um, <laughs> Story of this podcast. <laughs> okay. So then, uh, I mean that that's the general gist. Is that once the story came up, I guess the other big thing to mention was six months before the release of Transformers, Gobots, Gobots aired. Yeah which was uh, a competitor with Hasbro, Tonka, working with a competitor of um, Takara, which was the Japanese company working with uh, Mm. Hasbro to make the Transformers, Bandai, who made the GoBots line. And so for a while, they were kind of neck and neck because the Transformers figures were a bit more complicated and interesting, and the GoBots figures were a lot cheaper. Yeah. Um, But I think... No, that was kind of cool. I never understood the contention between the two. A big part of... Like, A, they were cheaper, so the toys tended to break a little bit more. Mm. But I think also a big part of it was the fact that the storyline of the Transformers show had a bit more depth yeah. than the story of the GoBot show, which is a little bit ironic considering how much depth the Transformers series has compared to things today because it's like a cheesy 80s cartoon. But Even so, that's what I'm excited to talk about in the discussion. I think that, that like... I like I really like learning that foundation, but seeing yeah. seeing the transfer from that foundation to like the movies and the TV shows that I'm familiar with, yeah, I think that yeah. that's that's what grabbed me about about the episode. So I am excited to do some compare and contrast. Yeah, no, there was a lot of there was a lot of sort of ups and downs with the franchise, places where they thought that it was kind of going under. Um and then there were a lot and then after the premiere of the original show, there was like 
a lot of sort of um, innovations made to the series that mm. were not always received well at the time, but then kind of made their place. Like Beast Wars was when Beast Wars was first announced. People were like, no, we want cars and trucks. That's what Transformers are. Fuck these animals. <laughs> and then it ended up being a great hit, especially because the show was incredible for the time. And I still like watching it, despite the shitty ass animation, but Fuck which was, again, really good for the time. But yeah, Pat. You know, I've just got to get you to watch Beast Wars sometimes. Nope. And, um, <laughs> I mean, we can touch on other things like some of the other evolutions later and, like, you know, the the big thing of the movie and, like, killing Optimus Prime, spoiler alert, <laughs> and that, not the newer movies, but the 1986 movie, but, I mean... Did they not kill him in a new one? I mean, they do, but that's not what I was talking about. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, this is serendipity. A wonderful moment happened, and I want the editor to point it out because you stuttered a bit. And instead yeah. of the newer movies, you said the manure m- movies. The newer m- <laughs> And I think if that doesn't sum up your position. Yeah, it was a Freudian <laughs> slip about <laughs> the Michael Bay movies being total cow shit. I like the first um, one. I like the first one better than the other ones. But even in retrospect, I don't like the first one. I think I would like the first one a lot more if it weren't for the existence of the character Sam Witwicky. Sam He's just so incredibly unlikable, even in the first movie. I think that Optimus Prime was done really well in the first movie, whereas the other ones he turned into a fucking rage monster, which... We will kill them all. Must have been real fucking awkward for Peter Cullen to avoid. <laughs> we need a truce. All I want is to be back in charge. Besides, who would you be without me, Prime? Time to find out. <laughs> I love that's like my favorite bit in the episode, though, is the bit where Peter Cullen talks He's about, talking about Optimus's death in the film. Well, oh, I was going to say his inspiration from his brother, who was was a war hero who died, and that's who he based the persona of Optimus Prime on, and that was, like, really touching in a sort of unexpected way. Optimus, all I ever wanted was the survival of our race. You must see why I had to betray you. You didn't betray me. You betrayed yourself. And I didn't really know that before watching this. Well, so. didn't he develop the vote? No, he his brother said like, "Hey, don't 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 be that kind of hero. Be a real hero." And then like he said that on Peter's way to the recording studio. I think he was alive when he recorded Optimus. Again, there is you know more more going on into into the future and into the present, but. I think that that gives us a good foundation to start talking about like how this toy series, which was started first and foremost as a toy series and then another toy series and a third toy series and then was an imported toy series, then added this cartoon on it, which made it a successful franchise. I just like the idea that somewhere deep inside Optimus Prime is a little G.I. Joe. Yeah, for sure. Oh, God, we just we need a Transformer who turns into a Segway. That's what we really need. <laughs> <laughs> when he turns back into the uh, normal dude, he's just a tour guide. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to be moving on to the domains now where our representatives get to summarize what they have brought to the figurative table today. 
Pat, why don't you fucking tell me about them bricks? There's actually uh, an episode of this series that's about Legos. Yes, there is, and it's exactly after the Transformers one, and I watched it. Did you? What's up? Yeah. Good job. Hey, Pat. Wait. Hey, Pat. Pat, do you know which episode comes before the Transformers episode? The dumbass Star Trek one. Eat a fucking dick. That's actually a great fucking episode, and I would love to talk about that episode at length with you guys on an, in a different uh, context. I would but... n- like to never talk about nor acknowledge the existence of said episode. So instead, I'm going <laughs> to talk about my You won the gold star domain. on our Star Trek special, you twat. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny. It was amazing. <laughs> all right. All right, Patty Cakes. Tell me about right. these Legos. So Lego is a company that originally started out as a just like a regular old toy company mm-hmm. after this dude's carpentry business failed. It was in the Great Depression. What what country was it in again? Uh, it's in Denmark, I believe. Denmark, right? Um, yeah, I was hoping you were going to say small... it was Danish, and I just finished a season of Great British Baking Show, so I was like, I was ready for you to say Danish, yeah. but it well, didn't happen. It is a Danish company. There you go, bud. <laughs> what kind of feeling? Oh, you don't feel a Danish? Fuck! All right, cool. Moving on. <laughs> All right, don't you? You don't, I don't have need to, know. to. Go ahead. No, I, anyway, we're not, we're not talking about pastries. This guy, <laughs> Let's talk about right, uh, Old Kirk Christensen. <laughs> If you can yeah. find a, a more, like, Nordic name, let me know. Besides Leif Erikson, obviously. But right. Jarl uh, Bolgruf of Whiterun. Uh, <laughs> he began his toy company with wooden things because during the Great Depression, metal was very scarce. But then he eventually realized that uh, he could make toys a lot faster if you switched to plastic. There were already these bricks called... Ah, oh, shit, what's it called? Something self-adhering some yeah, sort of it was something it was really stupid, stupid okay? like that. it was very <laughs> not marketable and um, it was like self it, yeah it was like stackable so, yeah removable bricks or some nonsense Point like is, that yeah <laughs> these bricks when stacked would often fall over if they got too tall because they just had the signature lego tops with the little pegs but underneath it was hollow so there was nothing there to really give them any rigidity so Lego Story of my was life. not the first to make these bricks, but they were the first to patent the tubes to underneath patent. the bricks, uh, which <laughs> allowed them to stack them and click them together and make vast creations that were actually just like actually like could stand the test of time because is, they is were. That, in... Is that the term you want to use to describe a Lego moc? Yeah, very a lot of gravitas. I like it. Standing the test of time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean that's more just than the... almost anything, there's they're using like the same pretty much the same molds they were making yeah. like 40 years ago all they like, do everything is... else has evolved and you know has been see that makes more sense to me i just got the image that pat, like five-year-old pat built like a little house out of lego and was like this is going to stand the test of time and it oh did. no i did not mean that it's been like okay. as a whole the company stood the test of time with these bricks so yeah. sure did they filed that patent effectively monopolizing the market on these bricks because theirs were the best bricks the only bricks anybody ever wanted they started to make different yeah, kits true. out of them. Still true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Even though the patent ran out and the, and the other companies the, get to use it. In the 80s, yeah. Yeah. So they started making different sets with them, like space-themed ones and castle-themed ones. But they really tried to stay away from weapons because when the company as a whole was starting, it was when Germany was invading their country. So they right. felt pretty bad about uh, precipitating the sense of war being okay to young children. So they made a lot of their markets like based on ambulances and things like that. But then eventually they started 
to license the bricks to movies and make sets mm-hmm. out of those. And a lot of movies, they're just like inherently weapons in them. So they were like, hmm, yeah, maybe we shouldn't market these towards kids. But hey, we can make a m- bunch of money off of marketing or licensing the Lego brand to Star Wars when they started making right, the yeah. original I like the idea of trilogy. an adult section in a Lego store with like a curtain and then behind it is just... <laughs> You just have a fucking AK-47 made out of Legos back then. <laughs> and it shoots, like, right, well, st- like one-by-five stacks of yeah. studs. So, okay, um, that I, I, like, I just want to cut you off a little bit, just because um, we don't have to go through the entire, entire narrative arc to. of how Lego got from A to B, but thank you for bringing us to how Lego became successful. Now, let's, let's shift it over to a little bit, like, uh, what we're talking about for this episode. Well, that's, and, and, that okay. brings me to the next part. Which was once they started doing that, they realized that kids were more into like the video game side of things instead of Mm -hmm. just making things for movies in real life. So their answer to that was to make later on, it was to make video games, but originally it was to make a robotics line, which was actually very interesting. And adults kind of gravitated towards it because Uh, they could make their own. Yeah, Mindstores was dope. Yeah. Uh, They could make their own, like, programming languages and everything, and it really didn't work in the way they intended, but it gave Lego a lot of success. So, eventually, they decided to actually just jump into video games. I remember way back in the early 2000s or the late 90s, I can't remember, when I was a kid, they had a (laughs) a video game that was essentially Mario Kart, but with Legos. You build your own carts, and you just... I think it was called Lego Island or something like that. Hmm. Ah, I think I had that one. No, I had Lego Creator. Never mind. So they started making actual video games revolving around playing with Legos, and they realized, like, yeah, kids like this, but it's not as cool as it could be. And then they started making... And then Notch made Minecraft. They started (laughs) making their own video games licensed after movies and after shows and after comics, and that Mm -hmm. was really what ended up catching the interest of kids, but... They still put little elements of Lego in there, like you'd have to find hidden bricks. And uh, yeah, yeah. Now there's a lot of fun with the like, even though the the Lego games are based on like other franchises. I think that the the format of them with like the whole building quality of it is very like important to what makes those games successful. Yeah. Like Lego Star Wars, I don't think would be successful if it were that same basic premise, but just star wars without the like the lego is super important like some level designs will actually make you find bricks and build up parts of the the story in front of you right you can you can advance it but it's also kind of brings me towards another point obviously kids like those because they like the superheroes they like the stories and like playing video games mindlessly but adults also find a lot of value in the video games because they kind of emulate what real-life Legos are to adults, too, which are almost collectible at this point. Me, as an adult, I like building kits that are pre-made because I'm not very creative, but it's cool to see, like, I built a Saturn V rocket kit. Uh, they have White House and, like, cool real-life things that you can build. They have space stations. They have all these cool kits to emulate real life, and in the game, they put a large emphasis on if you want to beat this game 100%, you have to collect all these bits. You have to collect the golden bricks. You have to... Give me the bits. Do the random bits. things in the game the to get bits. all... Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, to get all of those things. And it's it really kind of makes it so Legos... Or Lego video games, rather, can span the interest of pretty much any age group. 
And they also yeah. made it cooperative, which is cool. So, like, parents can play with their kids or kids can play with other kids. Or adults can play with other adults. It's, it's like, whatever you want. Yeah. Word. Yeah. All right. Okay. That, Lego's thank you, sick. Patty Cakes, for that talk about Legos. Got you, fam. Alrighty, 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 Colin, my boy. Let's hear about some more Legos, but more specific. Tell me about fucking Bionicle. I, I love the shit out of Bionicle. I All really right. do. So, so let's I, hear about I might it. have some points against me. Uh, for gold star contention, because I did not select this domain, but I'm prepared to rep the shit out of it, because boy, I'm not just gonna talk about Lego, I'm not gonna talk about Bionicle, I have the 2015 Pohatu right here in my hand, and I'm here, you hear that, you hear that clinking, you hear that clinking audience, you hear that, that sounds great, right? (laughs) So, the, uh, I have that, I have the 2015 Tahu and the 2016 Tahu mix up with a little person. Now, those are for those even the fun ones. Those are the ones. The so whole these thing ones are actually Lego pretty fun. Dick into the system, and Bionicle fucking broke their system. So let's talk about how it did that. So Lego, yeah. as Pat has said, uh, found a lot of success in um, in tying things to other franchises. Uh, one of the big things about Lego is that around the late 80s, early 90s, Lego was facing a bit of a financial crisis, probably partly due to the patent expiration and things like Megablock flooding the scene. But mm-hmm. um, they they were hitting a lot. Uh, they were not hitting their sales marks. And they said, we need a story. And this is where this lines up with the Transformers thing so perfectly. They said, we have a product. We need a story to market it to Americans. And Lego said the same thing. So instead of making up their own story, they said, let's get Star Wars. And everyone was like, cool. And they made a bunch of Star Wars toys that sold phenomenally well. The issue being the licenses and the royalties that they had to pay to Lucasfilm kind of made it a bit of a wash that didn't really dig them out of anything. There was also the big issue that they didn't make enough in the first year when the movie actually came out. And then by the time they made enough in the second year, kids just weren't interested. Yeah, that's that's pretty no, fair. There was a lot of stories like that about like Lego just arriving a little bit late to the game yeah. that that would have made them a lot of money. <laughs> so what Bionicle ended up doing was making an original story. So the concept of Bionicle, it does not use bricks the way that typical Lego does. It used an evolving and at that point new set of uh, pieces called Lego Technic, which are based around ball and socket joints and things that correct with axles and cylinders. So. Yep. Bionicle. As a toy line, we're essentially action figures, where each section, each arm, each shoulder socket, and the body, they're all different components, and they get clicked together and torn apart just like regular Lego pieces, but it had a very rich, deep backstory that I used to know a ton about. But basically, every six months, they would come out with, like, six heroes, and then they would come out with six villains, and then the next year, they would have a new set. And the story was set on an island, and the first figures that you could buy were called the Toa, the Toa Mata. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the lore of Bionicles was very very based on. Um, I think I like think it was Polynesian in, and Hawaiian. Polynesian, yeah. yeah. Polynesian. I was gonna say, uh, God, what's the what's the term for that general area? There's a term. I just had it on the tip of my tongue. Oceania, the Pacific. No, but there's like a. It's two words. You look that up. So the uh, there was actually Pacific an issue Islander. Where, 
So yes, Pacific Islander. That, okay, that, fantastic. Yes. It was based so, on a lot of Pacific Islander lore. Th- so Bionicle found a lot of immediate success. And speaking as someone who was into Bionicle from 2001, I was seven years old when I got my first one. It was Pohatu, the brown one. Same. Pohatu was my favorite. Pohatu was a badass. Where the 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 names of the original six were Tahu, who was made of who was uh he was the Toa fire. of fire. Gali was of water. Lua was air. Pohatu was stone. Onua was earth and Kopaka was ice. And the whole mythos was centered around these elements. And each year you'd get a new hero for those elements or a new version of that hero for those elements. And from a superficial standpoint, it was really easy to latch on to like, I like this color or this style. But from Mm -hmm. a story standpoint, you could know, well, this means they come from this part of the island. Or I know the the Taraga that they are related to. And I know what role they play in this battle. And the story of Bionicle got pretty deep. They had a few, I've seen the first three of the four movies that they made. It was originally planned to go for 20 years. They canceled it after about 10. It went from 2001 to 2010. And then in 2015 and 16, they revived it with a simpler story but they didn't sell very well so they canceled it again but bionicle was a success to the point where it's considered one of the things responsible for helping lego dig out of its financial crisis and Mm -hmm. around the time that bionicle was fading is when as pat was saying the video games sort of came into play um but i read a lot of the bionicle books Uh, in 2005 i bought every single set that came out and i was so freaking proud of that I had a dresser with four drawers full of Bionicle pieces. Um, MOC, the act of uh, make your own creation, was like my favorite thing to do. But in terms of talking about how toys become successful franchises, the unique thing about Bionicle is it was designed to be a franchise. They didn't release a toy and say, oh, shit, we gotta, we gotta go make extra stuff. <laughs> the plan was we need to dig out of this. We, we need a franchise. The plan was make these movies, make it last 20 years, write these books, develop the but lore. But it was, it was partnered with, uh, in that way, it was partnered with the toys coming out. Like, they didn't want to make the franchise yes. and then make toys out of it. They're like, we need to make a toy that has a franchise. So Correct. it did come from the the toy first perspective where the only reason they were doing it was because they, you know, they wanted well, to they sell wanted the to toys. Sell toys. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. It, and it's still toy first, but the, the whole idea was to make a multimedia franchise. And mm-hmm. for about a decade, they succeeded. And I think that anybody who grew up with them can speak to the fun of mixing and matching the arms or trying the different masks on. Yeah. The fact that their lights were trans, that their eyes were transparent and mm-hmm. just like all these little touches and flourishes that were great. And then when you see those translated into a movie or a book or a comic, cause all the toys came with little comics inside of them. It was yeah. so cool to piece those stories together the same way you would a Lego set. Um, yeah. is a different approach compared to these other two things. But I think that at least for me, it had the most profound impact. All right, guys, with that their topic and those their domains summarized, let's move on to the discussion portion of this podcast. What is it that we do in this portion of the podcast? We're going to fucking talk about some shit. Just fucking lay down the lines. We're, we're just going to we're going to talk about the things that we've been itching to talk about this entire time. I was really hoping that you would just say discuss. I forget who I was with on another episode, but they were like, this is the discussion where we discuss. <laughs> I mean, and I, I was think like, that joke's uh-uh. been made a number of times. <laughs> I was just, oh my goodness gravy. All right. So looking at it from the outside, I think that there's kind of a negative connotation that people usually have. Is like, if you say, oh, this thing is made just to sell toys, it, it seems a little bit 
dirtier, right? Like, oh, this is just some corporate thing. But I think that in I, I think that that certainly can happen, right? But I think that in in the franchises we're talking about, I find it personally to be an endearing quality of the fact of Transformers. You know, it's like because I mean, as as someone who likes collecting toys, there's definitely this whole element of like when you go into stores and you're like, oh yeah, all this stuff is just this from that. Whereas now the Transformers are from the Transformers, but they started off, the Transformers were from the Transformers were from the toys, the Transformers. <laughs> so do you, do you guys like have that mentality where you think that it's like a sort of cheaper thing or do you think it's just as valid or i think it really depends on the quality of the the thing so yeah i am not one of the people who looks down upon toys made from franchises because as a kid i like to play with like wrestling action figures i like to play with like batman action figures and everything there's an inherent value to that and like in my opinion if the toy is made well it would stand up on its own without the backstory anyway but like the main reason I don't think that argument stands up is that literally everything that is a consumer product is made to sell the thing. Like, but yeah, I, I, but, well, I'd actually yeah. So I agree with Jeff that it does have a bit of a dirty connotation. Just because, and this might be sort of sold of a, sort of a holdover from our generation and the generation before, where like you get a toy to play with it and to realize like there's this greater corporate machination behind it does feel a little bit dirty. I think that that kind of depends, though, because look at the Lego movie. Mm -hmm. Nobody looked at the Lego movie and was like, this is just a two hour advertisement. This will not stand. They were like, I don't know. That's pretty good. Let's go buy some more Legos. (laughs) Like it like it did its job. I think the intention and the clarity of that intention is a big part of that. Because nobody's upset that people make Star Wars toys and that they make a ton of money off of Star Wars toys. Right, but I wouldn't necessarily say that the motivation for writing Star Wars was to sell products. That's kind of the point I wanted to get to because I I think that the two sides of it are the toy. Mm -hmm. What is the toy made for? Who's making the toy? What is the spirit behind that? And then the movie or the other piece of media. Because if you look at Star Wars, Star Wars was George Lucas's film project. He wanted to make a film. He wanted to tell a story. And and I think the dirtiness comes from people think that it might be a corruption on the intent for a commercial purpose, which is not always true. And sometimes it is. It's not inherently bad, but I think it's when you feel like you're going against the spirit. Like, I wanted to make a great story about Batman. I wanted to make a visionary film. Right. But here's some action figures. Like, you know, it's Spaceballs. Merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that... I don't know what I think. I had a thought, but it went away. Pat, did you have something you wanted to say? My argument isn't that, like, everything that's ever made is made purely to make money but like part of just our culture in general is everything that is popular has some inherent monetary value to it it's always it's always part of it like yes george lucas didn't make star wars to sell toys but he did make star wars to make a bunch of money off of something that he loved like yes right right which i think that you can also say that about like you know starting off product first right like mm-hmm. people, the people who are designing these products, maybe not the Americans, since it was stuff that was imported from already existing products. And there's always like a, a, a monetary element to it. But like when it comes down to it, the people designing these things, like they wouldn't be good if the people weren't trying to make things that they thought were cool. Right. Yeah. 
So it's still like, you know, when you're designing a project, it's still yeah. something that you're going to be passionate about, whether it be like a film project or a product project. And that's why I think it mostly comes down to the quality of the thing that they put out. Like if they're right, using yeah. the source material just to like make stupid figurines that don't actually do shit, like in my opinion, the Funko Pops that are just purely for collectors, like mm. that's a money grab. But something that is just a good toy, like a Batman figurine that has a billion different functions and is actually like good quality, I or think even that's fine. like the uh, even look at uh, like uh, model kits, particularly Gundam and like yeah. the entire subculture yeah. that spawned off around that. Not just about like the anime or the manga or the stories behind it, but just the quality of building a Gundam model kit, the different grades, the different scales, yeah, and like yeah, how much yeah. goes it into the like toy is its own. Yeah, yeah is it like uh, the toys are their own draw in that case, and I think with Lego it's very much the same, and with Transformer it's very much the same. Even as a kid, like. I Transformers is such a part of our culture. I never knew of a time without it. But the first Transformer I got was like a purple motorcycle. And I was vexed by that thing for months. <laughs> Jeff, I can see you searching in memory banks like, what? Which one is he talking no, about? I what know toy exactly is this? What you're, you're talking about Sideways from uh, from Armada. He had, did he come with two little mini cons that you could make one yes. of them his head and it would make him a Decepticon and the other one his head would make him an Autobot? And then the two minicons combined together and they would form a motorcycle driver who would ride the motorcycle. I can't tell if you know a lot about Transformers or you were hiding in my closet when I was seven. Por que no los dos? <laughs> <laughs> the thing that pissed me off about Transformers was I could never get them to go back together the way they're supposed to. Particularly the Beast Wars ones, Jeff. Oh, yeah. No, Is that why you hate so Beast Wars, fucking hard. Is that your long-standing beef with Beast Wars? Like, they just... The cars I could figure out, like, I had this spaceship one when I was a kid, too, and those those made sense the way they're supposed to go back together. Yeah. But for some fucking reason, I could never get Cheetor to go back to oh, Cheetah. Yeah, no. So he just <laughs> stayed in action figure form. Cheetor is a, a little bit of a pain. No, the, a lot of the more organic forms in Beast Wars Whoa. made them a little bit puzzly. Like, yeah. especially the ones from ja the, the, like, the Beast Wars Neo and Beast Wars the Second Lines from Japan. Like, a lot of those figures are like, such a pain in the ass to get back into animal into beast mode <laughs> and this was before the time of youtube so i couldn't look up a video showing me how the fuck <laughs> to do it i got left him in that form. i gotta pause this guy's name is cheetor yeah. yes this is my entire problem with beast wars <laughs> okay well when I they might... turn into their animal forms they did choose new names it so it's not like stupid. he was fucking named cheetor before he became a, a fucking cheetah in case well, you no, didn't know, he turned into a cheetah. No, that's what I'm saying. I don't think it was some grand coincidence that they had some <laughs> truck named Cheetor. And we're like, what if we made it a cat? I'm saying, like, how do you look at a cheetah? And it's and it's like, it's kind of like that Jim Gaffigan joke about uh, slippers. Mm -hmm. It's like, what do you call these things that you slip on your feet? Uh, slippers. It's kind of like no, that. What the, do you call um, this cheetah? I Cheet love, I absolutely love Beast Wars it's as like a show. I think all the writing is is really fucking genius and clever. The names of the characters are the stupidest shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the main characters are like fucking. First of all, the uh, the main character as a bad pun is not Optimus Prime, but Optimus Primal, who turns into a fucking gorilla. There's Cheetor, <laughs> Rhinox, Rat Trap, Dinobot, Megatron, which is just Megatron again, and then, like, Scorponok, Tarantulas. It's just like, I wonder what these guys are. On this episode of Jess Lifts His Favorite Toys, Lifts. I said Lifts. Lifts. Ah. 
He's lifting those toys. Why can't he hold all his toys? <laughs> um, I had a question. I actually had a question I wanted to ask both of you guys. Because yeah, I up. started the Lego episode and I plan to watch the Star Trek episode. It's a lot of, of fun. Of uh, of toys that made us. Jeff, if only because you told me about those Kirk and Spock police helmets. <laughs> and like the next week after that, my friend sent me a picture of them. That's great. <laughs> just to make fun of me. Spoiler um, alert. I'm ask. using that. I'm using the Kirk and Spock police helmets as inspiration for Colin's new design and the new CGP artwork. <laughs> oh, fuck. I'm actually really excited about that. So the... And now it's canon in the podcast, so it works. Yeah. So here... So I guess what I wanted to ask is a lot of the story of... Of the Transformers episode mm-hmm. was about how how the need to have a story was really critical to pushing these products. How did that lens change for the other episodes, like for the Lego story? Because I'm just curious, like we're talking about the importance yeah. and impact that these things have on franchises. Um, do you think that Transformers, based on these episodes of the show, is like a better example of toy franchises like mm. I because um, like Lego obviously spun off to a bunch of different stuff yeah because but how does the history inform that I think that Lego was I mean I'll let Pat talk about this too but I from my take on it I think that like Lego was in a position where I mean it had ups and downs but it was largely doing well and when it started to spawn off into other franchises like video games and movies it seemed like those were at points where the franchise was a bit more comfortable and Mm. it was like, oh, okay, we're successful. How are some ways that we could make more money? (laughs) Whereas with Transformers and Lego, when it was Bionicle, it was a bit of a sort of necessity to to keep it going, right? Mm. I mean, I don't know exactly how that timeline... I mean, Pat, you've more recently watched the Lego episode of the the documentary than I have. Does that ring true or is it... It's kind of true in that the main line of lego always did extremely well especially with like boys yeah uh but they tried their damnedest to figure out how the fuck to break in the girl market it took them forever they tried like five different things that ended up failing and it cost a lot of money and they finally started hiring women and that's what like fucking bionicles with boobs um no they had to make the the minifigure actually more realistic and yeah, like that that always irritated me the, the the fact that the girl sets are like little like miniature poly pocket barbie dolls it is. but at the time that's what they yeah. wanted nowadays it's more along the lines of like they have genderless kits that mm-hmm. appeal to everybody they still have princess sets and like no they've got a whole different aisles in the lego yeah, stores that are just the the like lego fairies they're really they're trying to push that like all the sets are for everybody and yeah. that like most of the major sets are not gendered uh they have like different women doing jobs that are in media stereotypically men like computer programming and being a firefighter right. and like policeman and all that stuff see i just said policeman it's police woman now police officer boom but overall this is a good hot fuzz pull thing yeah. <laughs> overall um i think that lego had a lot of failures that without the success of the past it really made it like hard for them to push through them they almost went bankrupt i'm pretty sure they had to fire yeah, like a couple a thousand times. yeah they had to fire a thousand members of their uh their factory and building i think was what that this mm-hmm. is called well i mean i guess i was just saying like at least in the case of the lego movie right like i i think that there is since we know this for a fact since it's 
pretty recent. Yeah. Lego was very successful before the Lego movie happened. And then the Lego movie was like a way to sell more things. But it was not like, a, oh, we need to do something to shake things up because our, our franchise is failing. It was like, oh, this is a thing that everyone loves and is very successful. Now let's yeah. turn it into a movie because that will do great and it could be great. Right. Nowadays, I think that's true. But like when video games were first coming out, they were extremely worried that they were not going to be able to keep up with that. Yeah. Especially when because that was right around the time that their patent failed or it didn't fail, but like expired too. Mm-hmm. So they were already fighting these other people taking their patent and making them cheaper. And then also the competing market in video games and TV and all that. So they were like, we got to make a TV series. We got to make a video game series. They were trying to branch out in these new categories and the only one that really stuck was their robotics for the first like four or five years yeah so okay then to, to shift the focus uh, a little bit more onto the media as opposed to the toys like do you think that the i mean this might be a tricky one for for pat maybe a little bit do I'll you think that the stories that were created for these franchises and we can talk and I want to hear you guys opinion on Transformers for this too. Do you think that they could have stood alone without the existence of the product or like started off as their own thing and been successful enough to to earn a product being given to them? Or do you think that they like re- relied think, upon the fact that the toys were what started the, the this This might franchise? be speaking a bit from a point of ignorance, but there's been Not a real. pretty dramatic cultural shift in the, th- in the, <laughs> <laughs> the common ignorance program. The, <laughs> the, the cultural shift around toys over the years mm-hmm. since um, Transformers debuted... Well, it's it's very much like video games are kind of a more common household thing. Yeah. Like like most American households, for example, have a game console even if people don't play games on it. So the idea of just having like a physical toy, it's not dead. Toys still make a ton of money, but yeah. it's th- there's an increased emphasis on interactivity. Yeah. Yeah. Not just not just here's a blank canvas for you to play with. Yeah. But here's you can do whatever you want with it. So I, I think, think like what that comment I'll let you finish yeah. but that comment of like here's a blank canvas to play with but and then moving on from there right yeah. i think has also evolved in an interesting way because nowadays it's really not like i think that yeah toys that were toys first is kind of a dying concept i think that yeah most of the toys out there on the market and maybe it's coming back a little they're bit licensed but they're all from things regardless of yeah. the fact of the, if they're great and toys. i mean it's also why we've seen a resurgence in uh tabletop gaming and role mm-hmm. and uh board games and why those are becoming again bigger markets from the niches that they've been for kind of a while mm-hmm. um and, and i i think that is nowadays that a, is that a legitimate way to pronounce that word niche niche yeah yeah really? yes it is niche and niche, niche are niche. both they're both correct um you're both um, correct. Sorry, continue. <laughs> you're both correct. The m- most conciliatory and positive conversation we've ever had on this podcast. So when we look at how toys worked back in the 80s, that was kind of like the status quo for how you could entertain children. You couldn't put them in front of an iPad. Right. You put them in front of a TV. But I mean, one, you didn't want to do that all the time. And two, if 
you didn't have a lot of TVs per household necessarily. You need something for the kid to do. I've been watching a lot of the Goldbergs recently, uh, mm-hmm. which is a TV show set in the 80s. And the main character, like his whole focus is he has he has uh, a Millennium Falcon. He has like a, a Skeletor playset. He has toys out the wazoo because that's just what it was. That was how you engaged with your passions right. back then. And nowadays you engage with it a little differently because we have social media. Yeah. We have video games, like Pat said, to, to interact with. I just looked up Traveler Tale, Traveler's Tales uh, list of developed games they make the lego video games for like the last almost 20 years they've only made lego games and they're a successful studio yeah yeah because the form of engagement has changed so to more succinctly answer your question i don't think i don't think that you can really have a toy separate from a franchise now the same way you could back then because we demand more from the interaction of our entertainment I think that, I mean, there are some examples of kind of a resurgence of toys just for toys' sake nowadays. But, like, then then the, I want to ask something, right? Like, do you think that even nowadays, like, the, the Lego video games would would work without the Legos attached Not at to all. them? I don't think so, right? I, I, it's worth asking somebody who grew up with the games. Like, mm-hmm. let's ask kids from the generation after us. Yeah, um, I guess that's fair. Who, who who start with that because we grew up with the Lego, so we can take that mentality and transfer it to the game. And we've experienced that same thing. Things from like Jeff, things from like the eighties, like Transformers. You have a different perspective as someone who was born after it than someone born before. Right. But to me, I just think that the fact that the video game relies so heavily on the art style and the simplicity of Lego to make it so that the game itself is easier to develop, that said studio traveler studio would not be able to make all of these video games for these various franchises as like unless they made them seriously in order to be accurate representations of the art styles and the feelings of those movies and stuff i think that's true from a development standpoint because you can yeah go ahead you can look at the watchman video game was Mm -hmm. a flop the pirates of the caribbean video game nobody really played it that regular harry potter video games when they first came out were not popular whatsoever the Lego Harry Potter games are yeah, super Yeah, that's what popular. I'm saying. Like, the regular Harry Potter ones sucked, but that also could have been a product of them coming out pretty early on and not a lot of people having computers. Yeah, but I mean, like, there are also, like, plenty of very popular Star Wars video yeah, games like, that are not... Star Wars video games, but those don't really emulate the movies. Those are their own franchises, like The Force Unleashed and I see things what like you're that, Knights of the Old Republic. Like, a, like a game fledged. that follows the story in the way yeah. that the Lego ones do would not be successful without Lego. Yeah. For example, the Batman video games are the only one I can think of for a modern movie or like a modern superhero franchise. Series. Yeah, the Arkham series, which varies heavily from the movies that they are like paralleling but if you look at the deadpool video game that didn't do very well either and that's a pretty like analogous thing it came out a couple well, years I think, before I the think movie, it's, it's, that's a, it's a bit of dubious of a dubious argument to make regarding the lego games because on one hand yes from a developmental standpoint they need to be familiar with lego they need to incorporate that into the design of the game but um, it also helps them that, simplify the scope is what I'm it, saying. It, it does and i think the core concepts of what lego are lend themselves well to that medium but i think you also just have the fact that they made a good video game yeah. regardless of the lego side of things they they knew mm-hmm. how to translate that into yeah. a good game game with simple mechanics and the mechanics don't revolve around you knowing how legos work they revolve around you knowing how the game itself works yeah that's true and and it's enhanced if you know that source material 
But you could sit a five-year-old in front of that, and they'd figure yeah. it out, even if they touch, never touch a Lego brick in their life. Well, that's an interesting thing that Lego has created throughout the years, too, because, like, they've not only, like, because of these brick series, which go off of, like, a lot of different media, they not only, like create these games that are very much their own thing but they create kind of a feeling that's very much its own thing like this sort of tongue-in-cheek like comedic elements that are used in the lego games and the lego movie is like they're very similar things you know mm-hmm. like it's yeah tra- no traveler's Taylor tra- traveler's tales yeah uh they really hit a winning formula with that my problem right, is they- they've been milking it it's been more yeah. or less the same game ever since with noticeable improvements right because then they they mm. they take these uh media franchises which are mm-hmm. in some cases a lot more serious and then they're like well we can't really claim that this is the same level of serious as the real thing because everyone is made out of bricks right yeah. so they're like <laughs> might as well play that up right and they also yeah. tone down the violence and yeah i wonder yeah. then how much like the comedic tone of the lego movie was derivative of the success of the games is Ooh, yeah i don't uh, i think i think there's definitely a connection there mm-hmm. i might attribute it more to the fact that at like pat was saying from the history of lego development that lego has always been geared toward kids with accessibility to adults yeah and at that point if you're making an animated movie then that's it. I, I have a hard time saying that a lot of the tone and the style comes from the games just because when the Lego movie came out, most of the Lego games didn't have dialogue. And mm-hmm. the animation style of the Lego movie is so far and away its own thing, unique and beautiful and wonderful. Yeah. In a different way that the games are beautiful and wonderful. Yeah. But at the same time, I know that they already had certain franchises like Harry Potter and Batman and mm-hmm. all of them. It seemed like they really heavily hit on in the movie the franchises that were made into video games. Yeah. That's oh that I guess that's fair. The Lego Batman movie, which was yeah. a good movie. I yeah, enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, it is a really good movie, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so okay, I wanna I wanna pull this towards a little bit back to Transformers, but also give you yeah, I have some questions and... for you as well, Jeff. One All question, right, I, but I'm I, excited to ask it. I'm interested to see that because I was I was gonna say that, that what I was gonna talk about is I think like also a big part of the the Transformers, like, story, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. is that, like, the story Scientology. becomes malleable, but they reuse, like, character archetypes. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a, another thing that is successful about Bionicle is that, you know, they, yes. they leave it so that the story can be whatever it has to be, but they've got, like, oh, there are these characters. You've got your Optimus Primes, you got your Bumblebees, you've got yeah. your Starscreams, your Megatrons, your Toa Tahus, your Toa Liwas. Well, yeah, because the archetype for Bionicle yeah. was six heroes every year. Each one's a different color and a different element. Right. And, I mean, for two years you had Tahu, and then you had Vakama, and then yeah. you had uh, Jaller, who was from the original thing. And it's just, like, you if you didn't care about the story, you could always say, I want the red one. Right, like right. It, it, it was that reductive, and I think that definitely helped with the accessibility. I know, and if, for me, I think like I I actually got a little bit disappointed. I think when they started bringing back the old like the uh, the original yeah, six like, toys, yeah, 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 and like two thousand eight or nine. Like, oh, okay, now we're just giving up on on making new stories, and we're just rehashing the old ones. It felt a little like, eh, which is I've not this not nothing I've ever felt about Transformers when they make yeah. new characters. I'm like. Okay, yeah, I can get into those new characters, but I'm I'm always looking for the old ones too. What the issues that Bionicle was facing, um, a lot of it 
had to do with, you know, just marketplace shifts, but there was a core issue where the lore of Bionicle is very complicated. Mm -hmm. And you're talking to someone who for several years tried to follow the lore and then sort of fell off because it got too complicated, like almost indecipherable at points where um, because you have so many elements, you have the broad good and evil stuff of the light and the dark, which is pretty common, but like the, the each elements and then the cultural things and which islands they live on. Yeah. It, it really it really did get to be a lot to follow and each mask and what each mask does and how does that vary with the, the, with the Borok mask and the Rakshi slugs. I don't remember the specific names for them, but it's like it got to be too much. So I think they were trying to pull back around and refocus on the things that people connected with to get any sort of life out of it. Whereas Transformers, what I got from the toys that made us, when they made Beast Wars, was very much like, okay, we maybe overdid it. Let's just try something. Let's try something totally new. Right. That's like, that is an extremely different direction and it had more success. So I think there's some valid, there's valid criticism there, but they were trying to get back to what people connected with because they overdid it. Yeah. And it's interesting, like, talking about the cultural part of Bionicle, because, like, I mean, as a kid, I don't think you even, like, totally get a sense of that. Like, I remember when I was a little kid, like, what a strange moment it was for me when I was playing with these toys and, and, like, I was talking about their names. And my mother, who's an anthropology professor, was like, those words are Fijian. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what are the fucking odds that these these things that I'm playing yep. with? Are- <laughs> uh, there was like a lawsuit allig- originally where they were like using too many names from uh, appropriated cultural stuff. And then they had to change I know, a bunch And of it, it was like it was all I was fucking thinking when I was watching Moana, when I was watching uh, Moana, Moana and they're like the island of, of Matanui. Of Matanui. And I'm just like. That's yep. from the Bionicles. But then I'm like, no, it's not. It's a word. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it means um, like like what Matanui is is island city, right? I I don't recall. Great fucking movie. Um, or is it New Island? I can't remember. But any, anyway, um, so Colin, did you, you said you had some yeah. questions for me. I was gonna. I, I would like to briefly mention. Uh, we did not get any, but uh, this would be about the time that I would be talking about the the listener questions. Um, so I think that this is a good place just to just to give that little pitch. Um. Yeah, if you wanna, if you do wanna put your stuff on the show, um, leave a question on the Facebook post. We try to make them before we record, and then we we love talking about it. It spawns we some fun discussions. You. Yeah, no, and it, it it gives you a chance to pick your own episode topic, and that is also super fun. Sure, and you can also like and share the post. Yeah. You can smash so that subscribe. We did button. not get any listener questions this week, so we can we can use that extra five minutes to have our Actually, own discussions. But my roommate is here, Dominic. Do you have any comments oh or questions about? Jesus bionicle if this makes dominic win the fucking bionicle uh, or transformers he says none that are appropriate for my show but what about the other two domains and shit oh dominic how do you feel about transformers or lego as a whole i mean i love legos dude boom okay he says he loves lego but i would like to point out that the plural of lego is lego i love lego dude it's fucking awesome quote dominic the topic of this uh of this of this episode is transformers and i feel like dominic's just really letting us down right now (laughs) but what else for what i'm gonna take that as a win for lego all right boom no um so uh, jeff the question i have for you is i know that you feel um i know that you feel some disconnect at least um animosity at worst towards the michael bay transformer oh, film franchise uh, animosity at best <laughs> yeah and animosity at best we'll see how the film bumblebee treats you um but 
the thing that caught my eye and I didn't really even think about is those movies were obviously they were hoping to push Transformers toys. Yeah. And the movies saw a big redesign of these characters because mm-hmm. the aesthetic is much more like organic yeah. and fluid and rounded. And I want to ask, do you have opinions on the toys based on the movies? They are up and down. Um, I think that the, the toys from the first movie were very good as a okay. whole. What made them good? Like, what did you like about them? Well, I mean, I think that, okay, I guess to talk about what made those good, I'm going to talk a bit more about what made some of the later ones not good, <laughs> if that if that makes any sense. I, there, there, are, there are certain elements that things got a bit cheaper as the franchise went on. Um, they started doing things that really irritate me personally, which don't seem to bother a lot of, ever, a lot of everyone else in the Transformers community, but they would do this thing called cheating, where... Like, there would be... Is that where you can, like, disconnect parts and move them? Uh, no, that that is referred to as parts forming, but, um, no, <laughs> okay. not that. Cheating is when... So, say, you know, Optimus Prime, his chest is the windows of a of a truck, right? Yes. So, in, for example, in the first movie, that's the windows of the truck were his chest. In the later ones, it was, like, armor. It was weird. In some of the later, in not even the movie designs, but when, his, when he was still, windows of a truck were his chest, the windows of the vehicle mode of the toy would not actually become the chest, but there would be a fake chest somewhere in the figure that looked like the windows of a cab. And oh. that is something that's always fucking bothered me yeah that seems more dishonest than like the licensing stuff we were talking about yeah, a little while like, ago <laughs> you know he's supposed to have a couple <laughs> wheels on his legs but they didn't engineer it in a way so the wheels would end up on his legs but they would have does fake he have wheels. just two big rubber eyes <laughs> so th- that to me became like that's why i appreciate the whole toy first story later element because they were designing the characters based off of the toys instead of trying to make toys that fit the designs of the characters which i think in some cases ends up being a little bit detrimental to the the figures i think that speaks to what i was saying before i think the intent is a huge part of it like where the idea starts and where it's emanating from is really going to impact how you feel about it but no i was curious about that because i don't even think i've gotten my hands on a transformers toy post 2007 yeah, no, the, I think that the 2007 toys were pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's been good and bad ones in every franchise. I think that, like, they did some really innovative things with the toys of the third movie, but it, 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 it felt like there was kind of a quality drop. But I think some of that had to do with the economy at the time. Um, mm. They are fun toys. At the end of the day, I don't usually like to buy them because they're not the designs of the characters that I like, personally. That's fair. Yeah, like I, I hate the whole fucking like Bumblebee with his like mouth, like weird mouth thing and the fact that he yeah. can't speak because that was never a thing. They just made that shit up like, well, maybe <laughs> the upcoming Bumblebee film will have an interesting backstory to that. Yeah. We'll so see. the Bumblebee film, I'm actually quite excited for mainly because it's being directed by Travis Knight who is the the head runner of Leica Studios, which is like a oh, popular yeah. stop motion yeah. Uh, studios they did like they Kubo and the two strings and Coraline I believe which of I haven't seen Kubo but I've heard that's a fantastic movie yeah, I know Coraline's a fantastic movie so I'm excited for that 
Um, and there was Pat, like, he's got there the was a real eating grin right now. There was a real fucking wild moment when I was watching a, a trailer for this movie. Cause before like they're using the Bumblebee design from the Bay movies. Right. And then they dropped one yeah. trailer that just, it has like Soundwave in the movies is like just a, a mess of parts, right? He doesn't look anything like yeah. Soundwave. There's a moment he in the trailer was a satellite in where the there, second yeah, there's a movie. moment in the trailer for the Bumblebee movies where just like boom, all of a sudden there is G1 Optimus Prime, G1 Soundwave, G1 Shockwave, looking exactly how they fucking should, like just realistic renditions of these characters, like straight out of the cartoons. Even some of the characters that were in the movies and don't look like that in the movies. And it was just like, I was watching this trailer and I was like, what the fuck? Like, I did not think that that was going to happen. And it it's made, it made me really excited for it, honestly. So that brings us to the end of the discussion. I yeah. hope you enjoyed this hour-long ad for <laughs> Bumblebee in theaters this December. It was not a... Listen, we just got into Bumblebee in the last... But, yes, saying, but we right. gave the audience the context to know why we should love this film. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, but either way, you are right. We should be moving on to the rating section. My my fangirling aside, I did not mean that passive aggressively. No. I just wanted to make the joke about the about the ad. Regardless, we are we are over time. So um, yeah, but I do do either of you have any closing thoughts on the toy to media franchise concept or? Um, no? What do you want? Hit me up or don't. I I I don't think. I've been satisfied with Star Trek toys. <laughs> Have you you should fucking watch the shit out of that episode because it's it's very amusing. It's talking about how like all the Star Trek toys were just like other toys that had nothing to do with Star Trek being licensed as Star Trek products. And it's just so like hmm, people. One didn't cool find thing that I have good. to tie all of this together is my dad was great with Lego and he built a Star Trek The Next Generation era tricorder out of Lego. Actual size, opens and closed with a clamshell, fake buttons and lights wow. on the inside. I still have it on my piano today. It's very good. Which and is that evidence is, as to why Lego are the greatest toys in the world. Do, 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 do. That's the transition. Uh, yeah, Pat cut out for me that he I missed what you just said. Oh, Pat said Pat said it's the, Lego's the greatest toy in the world, and then I sang the transition. Oh, okay. Well, then let's transition off of your transition. <laughs> <laughs> let's move, let's move on to the rating sections, boys. <laughs> <laughs> guys uh thank you both for a enjoyable discussion i had a lot i was of fun. hoping you were going to say an interlocking discussion interlocking yeah. discussion a transformative a discussion there you go that brought it home <laughs> what, did pat say? what did pat say i don't know pat what did you say I said stackable oh <laughs> well we're talking about transformers so thank you both for a transformative discussion now we are moving on to the ratings section of this podcast where each of our representatives are going to rate the topic on a scale from one to five steps of transformation what? like it takes you how many oh. how many steps does if it takes one that's kind of lame if it takes five that's better but still kind of lame Wait, wait, wait. Is this going to be like 
Does this determine how long the sound is? I love that part of the episode in the show. So yeah, okay. When everybody to clarify for the listeners, though we are talking about the Transformers as a franchise, I I am gonna have to have them rate the episode of the toys that made us just because you know they that's what we watched yeah that's what they watched they don't have a full concept of the franchise as a whole all of its ups and downs so that that is we're going to be talking about season two episode two of the toys that made us i would like to quickly say yeah that one of the best parts about the lego episode of the toys that made us yeah was they kept talking about the system of legos yeah but they only had they had one dude like every time they would say the system, they just cut back to him saying it. And it yeah. was the funniest fucking thing ever. No, they did a lot of that in the fucking Transformers episode too. Of just like, you know, going back. I love the point when they're when they're saying like, oh, and the sound, and they just like have three different people <laughs> making <laughs> their <laughs> shitty impressions of choo, 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 choo. <laughs> Yep. Alright, Pat, how did you feel about uh, this episode of the Toys That Made Us and Transformers as you saw it through this lens? So, I guess I also suffered from what ailed Colin in that I thought that it was pretty much just someone reading a Wikipedia article to me, which is interesting. Like, I definitely enjoy reading articles about that stuff, but I wish there was a little bit more, like, investigative stuff behind it. Um, So, while I recognize that the everyday person probably likes it better in the format that it is... I am going to give it three out of five steps of transformation so it can match my shitty fucking Cheetor toy. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was a great line of Beast Wars toys where they're called flip formers, where they would they were spring loaded and they would yep. be in their animal form. And then you just flip up the tail and then the whole robot would just spring out. And yep. so it was just one step. But Cheetor was not that fucking person. No, right? Cheetor was not. I've, I've got a I've got a Cheetor toy. And yeah, he's he's a little bit of a lumpy looking tiger or uh, <laughs> cheater. <laughs> it's not tiger. Tor, he's Cheetor the tiger. Anyway, oh Colin, how do you feel? Um, I'm also of a split mind for the reasons I stated before. Uh, generally, I didn't super enjoy the presentation of it. I found that it's sort of sarcastic, uh, sardonic, I guess is a better word, uh, tone. It's a reverent tone. I found it off-putting for something that's informational, especially because they were at the beginning they were like, it became Transformers! Wait, nope, not yet. And then they say, and then there was Diaclone, and it became Transformers! Nope, not yet. And it just kept looping through to the yeah. point where, yeah. at first coming in, I'm like, oh, this is an interesting, ironic take. But then I realized it's just kind of the same tone throughout. Yeah, it's so it a little bit of, of an obnoxious yeah. tone, I think, by person. Uh, it does. By, I think uh, it kind of feels like I'm listening to Cookie Masterson from the Jackbox Party Pack <laughs> games the whole time. That, uh, yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I feel that too. I wish they got like Mike Rowe instead. That would have been great. Yeah, so I think all of my issues are with the presentation. But that said, I really enjoyed the information that was presented to me. I mm-hmm. wish it was more in depth. Um, but I came away from it net positive because it tackled an interesting subject matter in a fairly comprehensive way. And uh, for that, I'm going to give it three and a half out of five. All right, fucking bitch. You just had to give it more than I did. Well, you're just you're just nervous because you and I are like neck and neck for gold stars. I don't give a fuck about that. Yeah, next we are giving the gold star student award. Um, 
for for uh, gosh I this is not feeling good to me because I don't know who to give it to but um what for is the, person, the award going to be the person who I think did the best in this episode it kind of talking in depth about what we're talking about and uh the reward is going to be god that's a the good golden question. dianetics machine i mean doesn't it kind of have <laughs> to be like the golden <laughs> autobot symbol or something doesn't it does it um no i think um a, a golden plaque saying you failed me for the last time starscream maybe <laughs> <laughs> fucking leonard nemar oh fun fact I meant to bring this up earlier, but when we were talking about like how um, how like toy franchises can seem to like cheapen media, the last role that Orson Welles ever played was the role of Unicron in the Transformers 1986 movie. Oh shit! His uh, yeah, that was the last role he ever played before he died, and his opinion on it was just like, "I'm just a toy that's fighting other toys, and this is stupid." I'm just a dude playing <laughs> a dude. Well, how do you think Ricardo Montalban felt? Famed actor of stage and screen, his last role was a cow on Family Guy. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That is pretty I like funny. That. But so, um, I think that you should do a one to five iPads no. continuously looping a YouTube clip of Optimus Prime saying, "I died for your sins." <laughs> like we're that. we're onto the gold star Boom. now, not the 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 rated. Oh yeah, never mind. Give me a golden one of those. Golden. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I kind of want to do the Matrix of Leadership, but we didn't really say anything about that. How do you, like, make a physical embodiment of the Matrix of Leadership? The Matrix you of Leadership is a thing in the Transformers cartoon that Optimus Prime has in his chest, and it's, like, passed down from Autobot leader to Autobot leader. Interesting. And I'll show you what it looks like, because that's going to be Can the it be fucking golden? gold star. Yeah, it actually is. <laughs> it's it's like a blue crystal with like a with like a gold shell and like a... Anyway, well, you'll see it on the gold star, because that's where we're going. We're, we're going to go with the golden matrix of leadership. And this is fucking really tough for me. So tough to the point that I'm just going to continue this sentence without having made a decision yet. Um, Colin, <laughs> I really liked your your take on a lot of the different historical uh elements of like you know how how the the shows fit into the context of the world around them pat uh i definitely applaud you for fucking watching another episode of the show to do your research on legos and i think that you got a lot of good insight out of that and I'm like actually nervous right now. Why I am I nervous? Fucking, I am too. I, huh. This is this is very yeah, difficult this? for me. I mean, a little bit. Like I'm eyes wide, palm spaghetti right now. Hot damn. I'm not. I'm not spaghetti level nervous, but I can feel a little bit. <laughs> I, gosh, I think I. I think I'm gonna go with with Pat. We're, we're gonna go with Pat. Uh. <laughs> Is it just because you don't want me on top no, anymore? No, Jeff, it is you can look me in the not. eyes when you it is say absolutely that. not because of that. I have factored that into my decision on previous episodes, but not this. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> no, I, I, you guys, you both did a really fucking good job 
but this was a fun conversation. I, yeah, this was a really fun conversation, and there were there were points when I think that Pat got a little bit absent, and I think that there were points when Colin got a little absent, and that you know that just happens in every episode. Yeah, I so, don't really know shit about Bionicles, <laughs> but I think that like Pat brought a lot of really interesting insights about like the sort of economic up and down, ups and downs of Lego and the the motivations of the company, which obviously factored into Colin's domain as well, given that it was from lego but yeah pat pat just had a little bit more of that that inside information so i appreciated that but that the do not take this lightly that that was a difficult ass decision i was and really hoping that asking you questions about transformers would push me over the edge god i didn't mind it this episode colin but i gotta tell you every time you backseat host that does not put you in good favor Ooh. for me that, that wasn't backseat hosting. I had a question Ooh. for you. No, no, I know. <laughs> that was not that. No, which is what, the, which is why I said in this episode that did not mean anything. I, I thought that those questions were good, and I'm, I'm I applaud you for those. But um, th- this is something that I've been thinking about for a little while, but I, I think this is the perfect episode to do it. We've been looking for some new ways to engage with our audience. I want to hear from you guys on Twitter, because sometimes we we do these episodes, we record them, and then in post, it just like, I listen to the episodes and I'm like, I picked the wrong person. And maybe that's the case this time. I want to hear, do you think that Pat won this episode or do you Ouch. think that Colin won this episode? That could be Why fun. Why don't you I'll, believe in me? I do believe in you, but I want I want to know how what other people's takes are on it. I, I want to hear if they think that you you were rightful. Dude, you're going to start like a Twitter war. We're going to have Team Colin and Team Pat between all eight of our listeners. Good, good. I want to start a Twitter war. Well, well the thing is, yeah, you can chat with us on Twitter, but I'll find a way to put these in the Facebook. We can incorporate that idea into the Facebook post, too. That'd be a fun... That's just going to make yeah, me feel I, shitty I if hear, people don't do actually think Do you think I, I made the right call? Do you think that, that Patrick Brem deserved this award, or do you think that Colin should get it? That's not going to change anything. Pat will always have this golden matrix of leadership, but... Yeah, I'm, but it I'm won't feel like I curious. earned it. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you earned it in my eyes. Except later on, you're going to listen to the episode and be like, nah, Colin deserved it. I didn't say <laughs> that would be for sure the case. I just said that sometimes that's the case, all right? <laughs> Whatever. Now my throne feels like a lie. I'm sorry. Maybe it'll be extra validated by all the listeners that are like, no, you're totally right. Colin was a fuck in this episode. <laughs> That's how I feel in most episodes, but... <laughs> I, so that that's where I'm going to leave it. Can we I end it now? Hear, I need to go cry. That's what I'm going to do. I want to hear from you guys. I think that both of my representatives did a very good job this episode, and I had a really fun time. So I think that's going to just about wrap it up. Thank you again for listening to the Common Geeking Program. I am your host, Jeff Levitt, and you can find me uh, primarily on Instagram. I've got an Instagram called Things I Wish Existed, and there's I got a, an Instagram. There's a dot between each word. Uh, I have a website that's linked on my Instagram. I've got a YouTube channel just under Jeff Lovett. That kind of shit. You know, it, it all exists. I don't do a lot on any of them, to be totally honest. But if you want to see what kind of stuff I do in my life, that's where you'll get a snippet of it. Um, I have been joined again by Pat and Colin. Um, you guys have any places you want to want to pimp out? Pat, you go first. Colin, afterwards. As the uh, process of elimination yeah, states. you can uh, find me on Twitter at Pure Riffery. I mostly tweet about hockey, but, you know, it's pretty fun. What about Patty Ice Official? What's that on? You can, you can do Patty Ice Official. That's that's Instagram. I wish I could get Patty Ice Official on Twitter, but Twitter doesn't let you change your handle. Pat, so. Pat, Pat.
What? I was what? playing Fallout 76 and I found someone, it was spelled differently, but their gamer tag was Purifery, just spelled oh, a little different yeah. from yours. Oh, that's cool. And he was great. I played Fallout with him for a while and he had a fireman's outfit and I'm like, oh, you're prepped to help California. And he's like, I live in California. I'm like, good luck, dude. So that was fun. Uh, my name's Colin. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Sonic Colin K, as well as Facebook, Xbox, SoundCloud, a few other places. All right. Do you not Lovely. have an Instagram? I do not have an Instagram, no. You should get an Instagram. I, how many people just want to see pictures of my cat? I need to make a uh, cat. A lot of people. No, here's the thing. I would have to make an that. Instagram for my cat. Like, I have enough trouble, like, repping myself on social media. That's <laughs> a lot. All right. Well, next week we do have an episode, and it is going to be hosted by Colin. Colin, what are you, what's, what's next week's episode going to be about? I actually so legitimately week, don't know. Our book club is actually going to be a book club. We Shit. will be discussing. Are you talking about a fucking book. We will be talking Goddamn about nerd. the first of three volumes in John Hodgman's Almanac of Complete World Knowledge: The Areas of My Expertise. If you want to hear us read a list wow. of seven hundred hobo names, tune in next week. We're not going to read it. You can find it on YouTube. But uh, it's a very funny book full of fake trivia, and we're going to be talking about sort of absurdist humor. Oh, okay. Like the episode on rubber. Um, not so much. Uh, more. I'm going to be focusing a little more on the like the writing side because it is a book than it is the pres than the presentation. Yeah, side, I hope I you don't focus too much on the same things because Call or Chowder and Laura were in the rubber episode. That's true. No, that's very true. <laughs> what, what we're doing though is uh, for, I'm actually not having them read the whole book. Mm -hmm. I'm assigning them specific sections, and then they each get to pick a different section to bring. So all of us are talking about the same book, like a real book club. But they're each going to bring things because each section is so disparate that I want to get their different takes on it. That sounds fun. All right, make sure to turn in, tune in for that next Friday on the 14th of December. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Geeking Program. Any engagement such as sharing a post, tagging us, or tweeting hashtag CGP, super helpful to us, first of all. And second of all, it gives you a chance to be entered, well, doesn't, you will be entered into a raffle <laughs> where you get to get the chance to pick the topic for a future episode. Uh, we've, had, we've had some fun ones. And we had that one on Dota too. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was, it was a fun episode, even though we didn't like the game. Uh, <laughs> reviewing us on Apple Podcasts is is super super fucking helpful to helping us grow our show and get out there into the interweb verse. And uh, we'll read any new reviews that we have in the air. Do we have any? I don't know. Nope. All right. Well, that's uh, that's that. Anyway, thank you for listening, Cut that out, subscribing, please. sharing, uh, fucking legitimizing my obsession with plastic playthings uh everything tell me <laughs> we'll, more and we're gonna we're gonna talk to you next week it doesn't just doesn't have to be a sex thing this episode of the common geeking program was hosted by yours truly jeff levitt joined by the representatives patrick brem and colin ketchin this episode is sponsored by Paramount Studios, except really, really super not at all. That's a lie. The podcast is created and produced by Colin Ketchin and Jeff Levitt, with this episode edited by me, Jeff, as well as Matt Canavan and Timewell Chodery, and featuring original music by Colin Ketchin. Next week, we'll be talking about The Areas of My Expertise by John Hodgman, so be sure to tune in for that on Friday, December 14th. And as always, thank you for listening to this.
name is Colin. I was voluntold to represent <laughs> uh, the fantastic the fantastic toy line produced by Lego Bionicle. Yeah, uh, that is, I was told to represent Bionicle. <laughs> it's, it's you said thing. it so robotic it's, the second time. I said it so naturally that I think you could put it anywhere in the episode and you wouldn't notice.